Okay, so in this second session, I've been uh, invited to speak on prayer, on prayer. I loved it when the uh, Amplified Translation of the Bible came out. I know there are many translations now, but uh, there's one called the Amplified, and it says in James 5, I'll read it to you from the Amplified version. It says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, <laughs> dynamic, in its working. Uh, the Amplified tries to come, get some of the riches of the Greek words that you haven't got time for in a plain translation. So it's trying to get under the skin of it a bit. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. And if you remember the context, it then goes on to say, Elijah, as it says in the NIV, was a man just like us. <laughs> doesn't look like a man just like us, but that's what it says. And he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and it rained. So obviously when James was writing what he did, and he wants to illustrate, uh, there are many people he could illustrate from, but obviously Elijah uh, came to mind by the inspiration of the Spirit, and he, he mentions Elijah. And so I just want to turn to Elijah, and we'll look at uh, 1 Kings 18. Sort of a short passage from there, and look to see some of the things that come out from Elijah's prayer life. I'm looking at particularly at his prayer for the rain to come. 1 Kings 18:41. Now Elijah said to Ahab, "Go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of a roar of a heavy shower." So Ahab went up to eat and drink. But Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, crouched down on the earth, put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. He said, go back. Seven times. It came about the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand, it's coming up from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down so that the heavy shower doesn't stop you. A little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind. There was a heavy shower. Father, we do long for the heavy showers, the coming of God amongst us. And we ask you, please, right now, for the help of the Spirit, Lord, Holy Spirit, please lead us into truth. Persuade us, change us, lead us, shape us by your truth, by your Spirit, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here we have in Elijah uh, an outstanding example of prayer. As I say, James, talking about the power of prayer, uh, highlights Elijah as an example. So here... You know the background of the story after a season of real serious decline when the nation that's meant to be the people of God, 58 years after Solomon's triumphant reign, uh, that's now illegal to worship Yahweh. And now the nation's worshipping Baal. In 58 short years, uh, uh, about nine different kings have come and gone and now you can't worship Baal, uh, God, legally uh, because Jezebel and Ahab, and the incredible decline. And uh, Elijah stands alone. He prays that it won't rain. And then uh, 
you remember the story, the, the moment where fire falls from heaven when he prays. And he's vindicated. Uh, the great shout, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And the prophets of Baal are slaughtered. Elijah's vindicated. And that's where we join the story. Elijah withdrew from the crowd. All right, the first thing I want to just point out, Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Elijah's life was not dictated by events. He wasn't shaped by success, by euphoria. He wasn't carried along by, hey, I'm vindicated. Hey, I'm the biggest thing in Israel now. He withdrew to talk to God. And in doing that, he reminds us of the Lord Jesus, who never allowed his agenda to be shaped by success or anything else. Uh, he again and again would withdraw from the crowd. Jesus' priority was one of prayer. We could illustrate that. We won't take time now of the many verses where you see Jesus withdrawing, Jesus coming to speak to his Father. Jesus did it, and Jesus taught it. Jesus taught his disciples. Now, look, come and pray. He says in Matthew 6, when you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, pray to your Father in secret. Make this priority of prayer. And when the apostles saw the phenomenon of 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved, uh, so the social implications, we find, hey, the Jewish widows, the Greek widows, hey, there's, there's some injustice here, this needs to be dealt with, there needs to be some government here. They say, okay, hey, let's appoint spirit-filled people, look after that. We must give ourselves to prayer and the Word. We must do that. They learned from Jesus. They understood from Jesus. It wasn't just a, a token thing. They said, we must do it. That's the way Jesus did it. We live with Jesus. We want to do it his way. We want to withdraw. We want to be with God in prayer. You'll find that that is characteristic of the whole of the book of Acts. They withdraw to pray. You'll find, too, Jesus teaches it. Go to your inner room. Where's yours? Does your wife know where your room is? Do your kids know? Well, that's where Dad prays. Now, sometimes we don't have that easily. I guess Jesus uh, lived in what we would call third world situation. Not always easy to find a room. But he taught, find the room. Do it somehow. Find a place where you can be alone. And that, that's got to be part of your lifestyle. Now, we don't say that as a legal requirement. We're a grace movement. We don't pray to kind of impress God. We've already found one who's already impressed him on our behalf. Amen. Hallelujah. He's thoroughly impressed with the obedience of his wonderful son, and we're hidden in there. So I don't do anything to get merit, but I want some answers. I want to pray. I want to get hold of God. And so here we find, shut the door, get alone with your father. It's interesting. The first time prayer is referred to, in the, in the Bible, Genesis 4, 26, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. To call upon the name of the Lord. Edmund Clowney says, USA slang for a name is a handle. What's your handle? And uh, he's saying that a name is a handle. It's like how I get hold of God. And the names of God are the revelation. It's the revelation of who he is. When Jesus says in John 17, I've made your name known. I've revealed your character. The name carries the character, carries the... So prayer is responding to God's self-revelation. 
God says, this is who I am. I can ask him in view of that. The Lord will provide. Hudson Taylor built a great missionary movement on that prayer. The Lord will provide. It's one of the names of God. And they got hold of God for that and saw amazing things happen in China. God's revelation of himself. And now Jesus says this extraordinary thing. When you pray, say, Father. Phenomenal name, Father. I guess when Mary and Joseph heard Jesus praying, you know, he just said, Abba. You could hear him praying. He's talking to God. Who, who can approach God? Who can name the name? He said, Father. And then he says to us, when you pray, say, Father. Your Father knows what you have need of. You have access to the Father. We're coming to our Father. When you pray, say, Father. I often say to people when I'm trying to preach on grace, don't start your prayers with this, Lord, I'll just clean the decks first. I'll just, I'll just confess my sins first. Some people preach that. When you pray, confession comes first. No, it doesn't. If you start with, I'm sorry about that, Satan will creep up on you and say, and that as well. Oh, yeah, and that. and uh, <laughs> you'll find that praying is just a misery time of reminiscent of all your shortcomings. Come say, Father, hallowed be your name. You'll, you'll come to and forgive us our trespasses. You'll get there. But don't make sin the center of your relationship with God. Come to your Father. Father, I come to you, Father. You know what I need. And you see me in secret. You will reward me openly. We have a revelation of what it is to be a son of the Father. Close the door. Shut out distraction. Now, if you're anything like me, the fact the door's closed doesn't mean I won't be distracted at all. Because <laughs> my brain could go straight through the wall. So I always have a piece of paper next to me. So I think, oh, what about that? Just write it down right later. I'll come back to that later because I've shut the door. I'm not going to get off on all these tangents. Just scribble it down. I'll come back to that. I want to be with my Father. So we come to be with our Father who will hear us, reward us, be with your Father. Learn to walk with him, enjoy being with him, to be in the presence of our Father. Come and be with him. Come and enjoy being with him. He withdrew. We've got to do it, dear friends. We've got to keep our soul. Keep our soul. That wonderful George Mueller statement, my chief duty. Well, your chief duty, George Mueller, is to feed these hundreds of orphans. No, he said, my chief duty every day is to make sure my soul is happy in God. It's, it's just huge. Keep yourself in the love of God. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Enjoying God's love. Priority number one every day. As a pastor, you hear many people's heartbreaks, the tragedies they face. You can get sucked down into their pain. Of course you will. But you need to know the joy of the Lord as your strength. You've got to make time for that. You've got to, if you're church planting, there's many setbacks, many disappointments, difficulties. You need your spirit refreshed every day. So let's be with our Father. Be with our Father. Then see this. His prayer was based on God's promise. He said, it, uh, God says, I'll send rain on the earth. Okay, so why bother to pray then? God says he's going to do it. Now, I know for myself, I, I, if you like, I was, I was excited about prayer. I was excited about the Holy Spirit. And it was later I began to see what I'll call reformed theology. God is sovereign. I read A.W. Pink's book, The Sovereignty of God. Blew me away. 
Every line's quoting a Bible verse. I thought, this is biblical truth. God's in charge. It killed my prayer life for several weeks. <laughs> it really did. Devastated my prayer life because everything's, God's got it all in control. And I had to read Praying Hide and a few other things to come back to praying again. It really devastated me at the same time as thrilling me. He's in charge. He's absolutely in charge. But why bother to pray if he's so in charge? But the mix, I think the mixture of knowing his sovereignty and believing in prayer is breathtaking. It's breathtaking. It's not easy to unravel totally. We'll look at that a bit. So why do we pray if God says, I'm going to send rain? Why pray? What's the point? Well, God tells us to ask. He says, I'll do a thing, then he says, ask. Jeremiah 29 is an outstanding example, which says, I know the plans I have for you, for good, not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Great. What's the next verse say? Then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Oh, I'll do it, but I want you to seek me. I want you to come after me. I want you to ask me. You get the story of Daniel, where God says through Jeremiah, this, this Babylonian captivity will last 70 years. This is Daniel. Daniel's reading in the book of Jeremiah. He he's, looks at the date. He says, hey, 70 years are up. And it doesn't say he runs into the streets and says, hey, the 70 years are up. He says he sought the Lord with prayer and fasting 21 days. Then the angel comes to him and says, oh, man, greatly beloved. Lord's with you. Since you set yourself to seek him from the first day, you've been heard. God says it, so he asks for it. So the fact that God says it is not a reason to well, not bother to ask then. In fact, why does Elijah say, oh Lord, stop the rain? Why does he say that? Why doesn't he say, well, how can you get there and imagine and catch, catch their attention, Lord? What can I ask for? What can I ask for? Well, back in Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 10, it says this land will be blessed, there'll be rainfall, there'll be fruit, there'll be harvest, but, but if you go after other gods, I will close the heavens. So he's got, that's, that's what God says he'll do. So James says, Elijah prayed and prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And so he prayed with revelation. God says, I'll stop. Right, do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. It's praying in the light of what God says he'll do. It's praying along the lines of his promise. Even Psalm 2, when the Father says to the Son, Ask of me, I'll give you the nations. For your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. Ask of me. This is kind of, come and ask. I love it what uh, Philip Hughes says. Prayer is stressed over and over again in the New Testament as a vital prerequisite for the release and experience of God's power. Stressed again and again. It's like where Paul, in his epistles, is saying, pray for me, pray for me. Over and over again, the vital prerequisite for the release and experience of God's power. God said, I'll do it, so we pray for it. Again, Andrew Murray says, it's as though the promises are waiting for prayer for their fulfillment. We may and must most confidently expect answers to our prayer. Ask, ask and you'll receive, ask. So prayer isn't only about enjoying the presence of God. When Jesus introduces the theme of prayer, it's always with this sense of if you ask, you get. If you ask, you get. 
You'll find that a lot in John 14, 15, 16. Ask so you get. Ask so you get. Curtis Mitchell says this. In this simple statement, prayer is set forth as the primary human factor in the accomplishment of God's program on earth. Christ asserted that divine action in some mysterious manner is conditioned on believing prayer. Therefore, prayer is set forth as the chief task of the believer. Some mysterious way it's tied in. So prayer is set forth as our chief occupation. Is that how you see it? Or do we say, well, we'll pray if we can. Don't have time for prayer. It's a long agenda. Will you just say the prayer? Or are we praying churches? Are we praying individuals? Are we praying teams of elders? Does prayer characterize us? I was so thrilled when Mark Driscoll told me Simon Brading visited us in uh, Seattle. So I asked that young guy, what's the high spot of your week in the church in Brighton? And Simon, he said, he said, Mark told me, he said, Simon came back to me, he said, oh, no problem. He said, the Tuesday morning prayer meeting, the staff prayer meeting, that's the high spot of my week. I was so excited when I heard that. That's the high spot of my week. Is that how you regard your team prayer meetings? The high spot of his week. I was thrilled to hear that. So yeah, praying together, seeing God work, praying, seeking him, Plainly and repeatedly, it says, God will answer. D.A. Carson says this, Paul counted on their prayers, or the prayers of the churches, to gain for him what might otherwise not be given. He depended on the prayers of the churches. I, I, was, I asked people to pray. I was going to a conference two weeks ago in Poland. I just knew it was going to be important. I just sent out letters to friends, please pray. When I spoke, I felt carried along. I just felt carried along. I had a very open door of opportunity. I'm so glad I quickly sent the letter out. Please pray. Please pray. J.O. Fraser would be one of my great heroes. And if you read the story of, uh, I think it's the original book, it's called Fraser of Lisuland or Behind the Rangers. I think it was later written again called Rain from Heaven, I think. And this great man of prayer, um, a China missionary, an English guy went to China, Scottish actually, and his battles, he didn't write it from a desk, he wrote it from a battleground in China. He learned to pray and saw phenomenal breakthroughs, phenomenal breakthroughs to gain. He got others, he kept writing home to his friends, please pray, please pray, to gain what otherwise might not have been given. That's what D.A. Carson says. So ask, ask. And sometimes maybe we're not as specific enough. Another book that's helped me a great deal is uh, Yonggi Cho's book, Prayer, the Key to Revival. And in that book, he, he says he was finding he wasn't getting so many answers he wanted in prayer. And he felt God said to him, you don't, you don't pray specifically enough. And so he said, Lord, what, what, I want, I want. he said, I would like, um, I would like a, a, a desk. I would like a mahogany desk. And I'd like a chair for my desk, and I want one with little wheels at the bottom of each leg, so I can push it to and fro, and I'd like a bicycle, because I want to visit my members. It was the very early days of his, his experience as a leader. I want a bicycle. And he said, I named these three things. And he said, I prayed, and I prayed. And within a very short space of time, 
He was given, somebody left the area, gave him a mahogany table, just like he asked, and a chair with wheels, and somebody else was in, and gave him a bicycle. I thought, wow, exactly what he'd asked for, exactly what he'd asked for. And when I first left secular work, and I was living by faith for a couple of years, and the money was shrinking down at one point, I thought, Lord, where's the money, where's the money? And I felt God said to me, ask me for the number of verses there are in a certain psalm, ask me for that number of pounds. It came quite clear. I can't remember what psalm it was. It wasn't 119. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a good one. I thought, and I remember praying, Lord, please give me. I felt God said it to me. And I said, Lord, please give me. And within about a week or two, from three different sources, letters came out. And the, to- the total came to exactly that figure. Ask me. Ask me. Ask me. Be specific. We need to learn to ask. We need to uh, believe God. Lord, I want to have that. I want to believe you for that. Believing us for all down through the years now, getting our building in Hove, the Clarendon Mission Hall. I remember praying with a couple of dear friends, Dave and Henry, saying, Look, give us that building, give us that building. And we kind of knew, suddenly we knew. I remember we all sat back and said, Hey, we've got it, haven't we? And we three of us knew together, we've got it. We've got it. I remember just a week or so later, this guy phoned me. I'd never met him before. He phoned me. So I've heard about your growing church. Can, can we meet? We had him around for lunch. I thought, how do I get him to speak about his building? And he, after a few preliminaries, he said, I've heard about your growing church. I wondered if you'd be interested in our building. I thought, yes, I am very interested in your building. <laughs> <laughs> and so prayer obtained for us. We, we went ahead in prayer. Many stories we could tell like that. Pray. He prayed, Lord, this is what you said. I'm asking specifically, don't let it rain. Then I'm asking, let it rain. Like Jesus said to people, what would you have me do for you? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? No, what? I found that when I'm praying for the sick, sometimes people come and, you know, I said, what, do you, what are you actually looking for today? What are you asking for? What are you asking for? You find the, the parable of the friend who went at midnight, give me two loaves. Not give me something, give me two loaves from my friend at midnight. We'll come back to that. So he prayed, and it says he prayed fervently. He prayed fervently. Alec Matia, in his commentary, says, inherent strength, potency, power, waiting to be released. Elijah's prayer carried a mighty punch. When he prayed, he prayed power. The fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. When I'm praying, I often remind God of that. Lord, you said, I'm making power available. I'm looking to you for this. I'm looking to you. You said, I'm making power available. So we argue our case. We come to God and we argue our case. Apparently, literally in the Greek, it says, in prayer he prayed. In prayer he prayed. Don Carson says, pray yourself into prayer. See, sometimes you don't feel like prayer. The Bible says men are always to pray and not give up. Because that's the easiest part of praying, isn't it? Ah, give up. Don't feel like it. So it's like, it's like your body got up, but your soul's still in bed. Come on, soul, get up. Pray yourself into prayer. I mentioned in the earlier session, praying in the Spirit. I think for me, and I'm sure it's our experience, that it's sometimes when you're praying... 
suddenly you've, or you've gradually become aware that another energy is kicking in. You've prayed yourself into prayer, to use the old, I think he's quoting the Puritans. You, you find, Paul talks about with all the energy that he mightily inspires within me. There's another power that kicks in that you just feel, I, I, sometimes you think, I don't know if I care this much. It's almost like another, uh, we heard earlier about compassion. And Paul talks about the compassion of Christ. In fact, the only way the word compassion is used in the New Testament is in connection with Christ. And he says, pray with all the compassion of Christ. Christ's compassion starts stirring. Something of God starts moving. You feel yourself, you'll feel the sail is beginning to fill out. You felt, I, I was praying, you gradually praying yourself into prayer, praying into prayer. I find praying with two or three others is wonderful for that. It's funny, most often you hear that verse quoted. It's kind of, well, there's a prayer meeting tonight, and then you turn out to, well, you did say where two or three are gathered. But actually, I find two or three is a great place to pray. I love it. Praying with two or three. I've got young guys coming to me in the mornings where I am at the moment, seven in the morning, on their way to work. We pray for an hour. There's nothing like praying with one or two other guys, three, whatever. There's an agreement. There's a kind of moving of the Spirit. Praying in one another's praying. Not waiting for him to finish, what shall I say? Praying in his prayer. He praying in my prayer. The Spirit beginning to harmonize. Learning to pray with the Spirit's help. Praying in the Spirit, praying yourself into prayer. So we get Jacob, it says, he wrestled with God. And we're all familiar with that. But I love what it says about Moses. In, in, in Moses, that amazing passage in Exodus 32, when the Lord says to Moses, go down at once from the mountain, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I've seen this people they're an obstinate people. And Moses comes back. Phenomenal. He says, no, your people whom you brought out. It's terrific engagement. No, I, your people, like God's disowning them. You brought them out, Moses. No, you brought them out, Lord. It's wonderful. And then you get verse 10, uh, Exodus 32, verse 10. God says to Moses, let me alone that I can judge them. It's fabulous. I wrote, underlined it in my, let me alone. It's like God said, I want to judge them. Moses, get up my way. I want to, no, I won't. I won't. Let me alone. No, I won't. Let me alone. A man's got that kind of power with God. Let me alone so I can judge them. No, I won't. And he prevailed. He prevailed. It's wonderful. God's inviting us to pray. It's God's inviting us to have impact in the heavenness. Your people, whom you brought out. It's all truth. It's honoring this wonderful God. But somehow God is pleased with that. He's pleased with that. P.T. Forsyth says this wonderful statement. Lose the importunity of prayer. Lose the real conflict of will and will. Lose the habit of wrestling and the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God in friendly talk. And precious as that is, yet you will tend to lose the reality of prayer at last. So it doesn't rubbish. You know, people say, well, I don't actually talk. You know, I don't take out time. I just kind of talk with God all the time. And some will say that. You know, I talk in the shop, in the store. I just talk. I mean, Nehemiah said, oh, Lord, he prayed his prayer, talking to his boss. 
And, and, and Forsyth isn't saying, that's rubbish. No, that's precious. He says, precious as that is. He's not belittling it. But he says, if you don't know anything about this, what he calls wrestling, will against will, prevailing, he said, if we don't know anything of that, we'll lose prayer in the end. There's something about it that's an invitation to us to draw near, to come to God, and to lay things before him. So he was earnest. He was also importunate. Okay, importunate, what does that mean? It means he wouldn't stop till he got it. He prayed, and he said to the guy, look. And it's, the way it's written, it's so easy to miss, isn't it? He said, go and look seven times. It's almost like he said, go and look seven times. Go and look. <laughs> now go and look again. And he comes back and says, no, it's blue sky. It's a Mediterranean sky. Nothing there. He prayed and prayed and prayed. Now look again. Seven times. He wouldn't let go. He wouldn't let go. D.A. Carson says, we're like the little boy who rings the front doorbell and runs away. <laughs> he wouldn't let go. And Jesus told these, these two parables. We're familiar, aren't they? The friend at midnight, the guy says, have you got anything? No, I haven't. I know somebody who has. Bang the door. Give me two loaves. No, go away. Give me two loaves. Clear rough. Give me two loaves. We're in bed. Go away. Give me two loaves. Give me two loaves. Give me two. And he says, he won't hear because he's a friend. He is because of his importunity, of his shameless asking. He won't let go. And then you get the unjust judge. The woman comes, says, give me justice. And the judge says, push off. Give me justice. No, go away. Give me justice. Give me justice. In the end, the judge says, give her justice. And, and the text says, she's going to bruise me. Apparently, it's what the text says. She's going to bruise me. Now, you might say, oh, I don't think of my father like that. I don't think of God like that. I don't really care what you think about God. <laughs> These, these, para, these parables come down from heaven from the mouth of Jesus. So you may say it doesn't fit my image of God. Jesus is the outshining, the exact image. He told us this works. So somehow in your multiplied view of God, this has got to fit in somewhere. That Jesus says God loves it. There's something about it God loves. There's something about it God loves. Andrew Murray says this. Oh, what a deep heavenly mystery this is of persevering prayer. The God who has promised, who longs, whose fixed purpose is to give blessing, holds it back. He trains us in the school of answer delayed to find out how our perseverance really does prevail and what the mighty power is we can wield in heaven if we do but set ourselves to it. It's what God's calling us to do. Persevering, not giving up, pressing through. These are some of the things we can see. And so, Bilheimer, in his book, Destined for the Throne, I love that book, great book on prayer, says prayer is where the action is. Any church without a well-organized and systematic prayer program is simply operating a religious treadmill prayer is where the action is I had the privilege of speaking at a church in uh, Springfield Missouri last year and the year before and uh, 
it's got 9,000. And uh, the, I said to the pastor, you know, this is phenomenal. Springfield, how, what's the population of Springfield? 120,000. He's got 9,000. I said, what's, what's going on here? He thought we had Jim Simbala. Simbala, don't I pronounce it? You know, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire? Terrific book on prayer. He said he came through, spoke to us as a church some years ago. He said we were changed. So now the weekly prayer meeting, that's where the action is. That's where the action is. So they've got two buildings in their place. You've got two sons who are executive pastors of the two buildings. And there's like 5,000 seater and a 4,000 seater. And I went one year, it was 8,500. Went last year, it's up to 9,000 now. And they're going for another site. I mean, they pray. I follow him on Twitter now. Every, I notice virtually every Wednesday, don't forget to be here tonight. He's calling his people. Don't forget, come and pray, come and pray, come and pray. One of the greatest privileges, I think, of pastoral ministry is to lead your people into prayer. Lead our people. You need to know, can we, can we cope? I remember when we first started in Brighton, once a month, and it began to grow, and it began to grow, and there was a real spirit of prayer growing. It went to twice a month. And it was, we did it on a Sunday evening. And I thought, oh, it's after it's all over. I want it before. Then we said, well, can we go for Saturday morning? Ooh, Saturday morning? It's the morning I lay in. And I felt we'd got enough momentum. Prayed about it, Lord, please. And we began to be there. And Saturday morning began to grow, began to grow. And we began to see wonderful answers to prayer. Wonderful battles for money. Wonderful things happened. Leading your people into prayer. Leading them into believing together. It's a marvelous privilege. And this is our calling, beloved. Especially as leaders. It's one of the great areas that we can lead in. To be persuaded of its power from the Bible, from reading stories of praying people, and then leading our people corporately into believing prayer. That we might see God break through, see God glorified. So we need to work it first in our own experience. Some of you who, you know, you may feel, I don't find prayer easy. You know, find one of those older guys or older ladies in the church. I know you're a praying woman. Can I come come in once a week? Can I pray with you? Or some of you who are leaders, look out. And others, would you like to pray with me for once a week? Just help people into prayer. Lead people into prayer. Encourage people into prayer. Pray into little groups. Little groups. When we were at Bible College, on a Sunday afternoon, Arnold Bell and I used to pray together. And then another, can we join you? Can we join you? Can we join you? By the time the year finished, 20 or 30 of us, can we join you? People love to come where they can feel this is doing something. God's moving here. God's moving here. God wants to own our praying together. So let me just encourage you uh, through these principles. We find in Elijah, we'll just pray and then maybe we can uh, have a few questions. Father, thank you so much that you invite us, Father, into your holy presence. Lord, we, we're just amazed at the names of these guys. And we, we see Elijah, we see who's frail. He was a man just like us. We, we thank you, Lord, that somehow Moses, Lord, just came before you. God answers. And Father, we do pray that you will teach us. We pray, help us to motivate the saints. Help us to communicate faith. Stimulate courage. Give us answers, Father. Help us to share testimonies that inspire confidence, Father. 
Lord, make us a praying force. Make us a praying force. We look to you for your help in it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we actually do have uh, 10 or 15 minutes for some questions. Um, and so I'm going to run around with the microphone so that we can pick up the questions on the recording. Um, okay, Andrew, you've got one in the back. Thank you, Terry. Amazing. Um, two questions. First, do you have five top books on prayer that you'd recommend? You mentioned a couple. Just wonder if you could help us out there. But also, do you keep a prayer list? How does that work if you do? I try and think of books that I think, I think testimony books help me so much. And so uh, the J.O. Fraser one that I mentioned would be high up there. Uh, it, it really inspired me uh, to pray. Just to say, incidentally, uh, Reese Howell's intercessor scared the life out of me uh, and didn't help me at all. Uh, uh, I, it's, just, it's just personal, perhaps. But it was uh, it's called Intercessor and it gets amazing things. But there's something about it that I didn't find helped me. Uh, Andrew Murray, I quoted a few times, um, Ministry of Intercession by Andrew Murray. Uh, With Christ in the School of Prayer, Andrew Murray. Very helpful books. Um, I really found D.A. Carson's book, Strange title, I think it's called Call to a Spiritual Renewal. Weird title for uh, Reformation. That's right. Yeah. It's a weird title, um, but it's about Paul's prayers in the epistles. It's terrific because it gives you real substance, and Carson doesn't overstate. You know, he's just terrific getting the guts of it out. I found that very helpful. Uh, Yonggi Cho, I mentioned Prayer, the Key to Revival. Very, very helpful book. Just stimulating. Again, comes out of story. Um, more recently, The Prayer Circle. Batterson, guy from D.C., actually. Is it Batterson? Uh, Mark Batterson, or some such name. I think it's called The Prayer Circle, or some such title. Um, it's a, he uses a very silly illustration um, of um, a sort of pagan, right, walking around something and... But, and some people have written the book off because of his opening illustration. But actually, the content of battling through it in prayer and seeing results is a very uh, uh, book. I think it's called The Prayer Circle. Sorry. The Circle Maker. The circle maker. There you go. That's it. That's it. My son Joel told me about that. He said, Dad, you'll love this book. It's got some of the feel of J.O. Fraser in a modern setting because they battle through in things and see it happen. Uh, I think I can't I can't think of anything else at the moment yeah Mountain Rain is the is his daughter's more modern write-up of J.O. Fraser yes the one that's now available Behind the Rangers you might find in a second-hand bookshop that's the original one but it's the Mountain Rain's got his letters home which are uh, OMF Twice they published little books called Fraser and Prayer and The Prayer of Faith by J.O. Fraser. Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously, Hudson Taylor, George Muller incredibly helped me when I read at the beginning just his diary. Mm. So, the testimony I find is very stirring. Mm. Those are some that come to mind. Second part of the question was Do you keep a prayer list? No, in a word. 
Uh, I sometimes wonder if I should, but I haven't. Uh, you've worked with so many churches. What are some practical steps that kind of are reoccurring over the years of a church that is wanting to develop a prayer culture uh, within the leadership, within the entire church? I think, I think you need to lead the people and excite them. I think it, it works well with a, a nucleus that are with you in heart. I think it... When you call people in a, uh, a church, it's interesting. I, the church at Brighton, I, we gradually over years began to grow into a prayer culture. And um, Wendy and I went to live in the States for a couple of years. We came back at Kana Gong. And uh, later on, Joel came to lead the church. He said, I want to get the prayer meeting going. And I said, you won't, you won't do it just saying, come and pray, because it's, it's kind of momentum gone. And then he, he rather cunningly started a men's class on a Saturday morning. And only certain people were welcome or invited. It's kind of elite. And uh, people said, can I come to that? And gradually people said, well, yeah, yeah okay, you can come. And, uh, and then he began to make it more praying. And it, the people wanted to be there. It's like they're the, the kind of uh, SAS we say in England. So I thought that's where the guys are and uh, where it makes it happen. And then that began to grow into prayer again. And then he said, oh, yeah, if the ladies like to come. It's almost like it's a privilege to be there. They want to be there. Can I be there, please? Um, uh, so that I, I think people find that, you know, it's like the prayer meeting. Oh, the prayer meeting. It's, so, you know, in, in the book of Acts, every prayer meeting is geared to action. Every prayer meeting, day, day of Pentecost, wow, <laughs> God moves. Then they're told, don't you preach anymore again? They start praying. The whole place shakes. Peter's in prison, so we pray. You know, Acts 13, they pray and the Spirit says. So I, I thought, hey, every prayer meeting. So prayer is not withdrawing from the battle. Prayer is right engaged with the battle. Yeah. So if people can see, and I think sometimes the weekly prayer meeting, get ever so practical, the weekly prayer meeting is difficult sometimes to maintain when people live like it in London, and I'm sure it's true in many places, incredibly demanding lives these days. They, they do you know, long hours, they commute, they come back home, they got, you know, it's tough. And so I, I've noticed some guys who I really honour greatly, this guy called Dave Smith building a great church in Peterborough in England, really very big church. Doesn't have a weekly prayer meeting, but from time to time he'll have like a 21 day, we're going for it. It's like, this is our season of prayer. And they really push it. And they're involved. Everyone's involved. And they can see some of the results of it. So I think always to stay fresh is there some fresh approach, some fresh way. And so I think the weekly prayer meeting, I mean, I was saved into a church where the pastor, um, he was, I would say, was a Sabbatarian. So he believed Sunday was the Sabbath. And so, you know, in Israel, Sabbath starts the night before. So Saturday night was our prayer meeting. Now, this is going back many years, before television and everything. So Saturday, but before, actually just before I was converted, and added, the Saturday prayer meeting, you couldn't get a seat. And, uh, and there was a hall bigger than this, you couldn't get a seat. And they had some were out on the street witnessing, others were praying, 
And then for him, the battle for Sunday was done Saturday night. That's what you felt. And I, I got born again into that when it was actually beginning to fade a bit. Television was coming in, numbers were dropping a bit. But for me, I got this concept, I want to pray before it happens. And uh, he was a great believer in that Exodus story. Uh, Moses had his hands up. And when you know, his hands are raised, we win the battle. And every, every, we used to have frequent baptisms. And, and he would, on the Saturday night, he'd say, come on, pray that my hands will be up. Pray that God will break through. And you all felt involved in this thing. And then when he made the invitation, the gospel invitation, he would raise his hands. And uh, all the praying, people who had been in the prayer he knew this about this. You know, it was wonderful. I never saw, over the years I was there, 10 or 11 years, I never went to a baptism where no one responded. He made a gospel appeal every time. No. And the battle, he, and I, I learned that. Try and pray, you know, pray your way into it. Pray your way into it. So um, I think we've got to excite people about why we're doing it. We don't do it because we're doing it. Uh, and so it may be that it's not every week. It may be that is tough, difficult. But to say, right, we're, we're going to do it. We're having a season. And I think that's, that's quite a good, interesting way through. We're going to go for it. We're praying now. And then even, you know, some people say, we get, some will say, we're going to fast and pray this week. You don't have to. Man. But it's just getting people focused. I know for us, praying in the money for the building, that was a wonderful motivational thing because we had to raise a load of money for our warehouse. And say, come on, we're going to believe for this together. So you all felt you're on board. We're battling for this together. I think praying because you've got to pray can be a bit of a killer. But praying when you know this battle is going, we're, going to, we're doing this this season, and we're, now we're going to do this. We're praying because we're going to do this. If the church isn't doing anything, prayer is a bore. But if we're into something. Um, Terry, tips on maybe a group this size, praying together. Um, you mentioned get inside each other's prayers, avoid awkward silences. You can do that at home. Other tips just to stimulate, you know, if you're praying together in a big group. Yeah, I, I, I think, again, to keep, keep, keep it fresh. I know for us, um, we, we started these three times a year with all, this, all the New Frontiers pastors in the UK. We come together three times a year to pray and fast. And uh, we started with 20 guys. And uh, we would have a, what was then a conventional prayer meeting. One would pray and then another one would pray. And you'd say, I'd say to people, now pray into one another's prayer. Don't wait till he's finished. Don't say, oh, we pray, but I was going to pray. You know, get into it. <laughs> pray with one another. But then gradually, as it was growing and growing, then Malcolm Kays, one of our guys, went to Korea. I mean, this seems like ancient history now. But I remember when he came back and he said, I've never seen prayer like it. They all pray together. Which, I mean, it's common now, but that is, they do what? No, they all pray. And so we, we incorporated that. So I think, I, th I think there's several things. I think we can all pray together sometimes. I think you want to try and engage people. So sometimes if we just start with individual prayers, in a group of this size, as PJ said, we might find that about 70% are feeling a little bit unengaged. Because, you know, some are beginning to pray, but I'm just waiting, as it were. So I think that, like, let's all pray then. That helps us all engage. I think that's helpful. I think very helpful. And then sometimes, even in that, you can feel, well, you know, that kind of strangeness, because all these voices at once. And so we can keep switching it, right? Let's get in twos and threes. You know, get in twos and threes. Uh, now pray in your little groups. 
and then all pray together, then when, as this begins to fade, will some of you lead us? Because some people are kind of gifted to lead a group in prayer. There's a kind of prophetic gifting on some people that when they pray, you just feel yourself caught up in their faith. I wouldn't despise that. I wouldn't say, let's all do the Cho thing, which I understand they ring a bell and they all pray, and then ring a bell and it stops. Um, so I think there's great value in all praying together. But I also feel there's great value in some people who are really, some people just profoundly in faith. And, and you can get in, they can lift the faith of the room. They take us on a bit further. So I would really want to make space for that as well. So keep changing it. Keep it alive. Make sure also, I would say, that we worship our way into prayer. And I don't mean like we do quarter of an hour singing. No, we'll pray. No, let worship our way. Get a big view of God. It's the bigger the view of God we have, the more faith we find. So we've, we've sung great songs here. I do want to thank God for that and the guys leading us. Songs that really focus on God. And, uh, and, and the wonder of Jesus and his personality, his power. I think get a, get a big view of God and then lead that into praying. Uh, don't say, all right, well, we'll have half an hour of worship. Now we've done that. Now we'll start praying. No, you, and again, leaders can help. Right, we've prayed this, we've prayed this. Now, now, come on, get hold of that. Now lead that in. Sometimes we can worship for too long in prayer meetings. Because we're not taking advantage of this big view of God we've just seen. It's not having effect on us. We're doing the singing bit now. So there's a dynamic, there's truths, things that stir you. Right now, let's pray. Let's go for it. So we don't need to be too kind of organized in that sense. Let the Spirit lead us from seeing how great he is to then beginning to ask. And I think the more we're praying as a local church, the more we'll get the feel of how that works. But I would say always incorporate. Even in my own personal, when there's no one else there, I'll always start with worship. Get a big view of God. But when we're all together too, let's get, let's get our eyes on God and then we can ask. All right, we're going to have one more. Um, Terry, you mentioned while you, while you were teaching about um, wrestling with God, like will against will. I mean, you also mentioned earlier about how the sovereignty of God had, like, really affected your prayer life. Um, and my question to you is, how can a theology of the sovereignty of God not make our prayers weaker? So often when you say we should wrestle with God, will against will, my instant thought is, well, I should pray according to his will. Uh, those who, he will answer those who pray according to his will. So instantly I kind of think, oh, well, should I pray and shouldn't I pray? And maybe I'll just tag this thing on. And I lack then conviction in my prayer because of a lack of certainty. So how can those two work together so we can pray with conviction? Yeah, no, it's always such an important question. I think we do want to give respect to both of these truths. I think the, the sad way out of it is to finish every prayer with, if it be thy will. You know, it's like... <laughs> so... I think we can do that. It's possible people do that. I say, you know, whatever, you know, if it's your will. And, and I, I really feel that P.T. Forsyth, who was a bit of a theologian, uh, he, he's, he's saying, no, no, come on, let's learn to prevail. Now, we've got biblical example. 
And it, it leaves you with huge questions if you want to really push into it. What would have happened if, kind of thing. Well, wasn't God sovereign anyway, sort of thing. It's like Peter's in prison. So they all pray. And it says the church made prayer to God. That's in the text. It's why it's there. And then the angel comes and lets him go. And then others say, well, Peter was asleep because God had said to him, when you get old, you know, someone will take you. So it's going to happen anyway. Now, why is it in the text the church gathered and prayed until? So I think we've got to, without trying to logically, I mean, our, our battle is to work out the logic. So when I read Pink's Sovereignty of God, it literally did what your question is implying. It just blew me away. And I'd been raised on a strong prayer emphasis. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I thought, what's the point? God does everything according to his own will. And so you've got to say, but God also has put it in his word that, you know, you, you pray for this, pray for this. And these great writers like Carson and so on saying, he, he looked to get what he otherwise would not have received. Pray for me that. A door will be open. Pray that my mouth will be open. Pray for. And so the Bible's full of requests for prayer. And it's not just being religious. It's so that things happen. And uh, I, I, so I feel we do learn to fight. And I mean, I, I, bottom line is, Lord, your will. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to house move at the moment. And I've been trying to do it since January. And I talk to God about it like every day. And I, and I also say to God, I know your timing is perfect. I really trust you. But I'm asking this will be hastened. You know, so I, I just keep arguing the, every day. I'm saying, Lord, please move the obstacles. Let's, 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 let's get this thing done. And, uh, you know, there are things that's private, you know. But I think God's, God wants to hear my prayers. God wants to know I mean business. I honestly trust his sovereignty. I want it to happen. I don't think I can intellectually, in the end, answer it. It's like the big thing of the sovereignty of God and the, the freedom of responsibility of people. Ultimately, you've got to believe it, God knows. But I honestly don't think that prayers that simply say, whatever's your will, I, don't, I think we miss prayer. We miss something that God wants us. I think the Bible gives us enough to tell us, no, I want you to learn to pray and press through.